This episode is brought to you by AREP, American Real Estate Partners. When it comes to the pain of the brick-and-mortar retail sector, few streets in New York City paint a better picture than Bleecker. At one point, it was a luxury fashion mecca. Between Christopher and Bank, basically a four-block stretch, there were six Marc Jacobs locations. But then the rent soared so high, the retailers left, leaving empty stores with chains on the doors and trash gathering out the front. Today, it's very different. Yeah, just browsing. I'm Miriam Hall. This is BizNow Reports. And right now, I'm strolling leafy Bleecker Street. Between Perry and West 11th, there's Nadam, a direct-to-consumer affordable cashmere store. One block over is Little Words Project, a store that sells custom bracelets. Over the street, something navy, a digitally native brand, and up the road is Ring Concierge, the store of a New York City-based jewellery designer. Each location has a different look and a different feel, a different design and a different scent, but all have something in common. They're all under the umbrella of a company called Leap, a retail platform for brands. All these stores are Leap stores. The firm has long-term deals with landlords and provides the fit-out and the sublease and the staff for the brands on flexible terms. Amish Tolia is Leap's co-founder. We've been pretty steadfast with the vision since since the onset, which was reducing the barriers to entry in the brick-and-mortar channel and how do you bring the, the brick-and-mortar channel into the digital age more akin to sort of these direct-to-consumer brands and digitally native brands. We're sitting at another one of Leap's locations, Kess. This store is at 339 West Broadway. Leap leases these locations in clusters and then subleases it onto the retailers. There's no way you'd be able to tell that these stores are run by the same outfit, though. There's just a small logo on the front door. But it's not just about locations. Leap also amalgamates shopping patterns like e-commerce sales, foot traffic and local demographics and uses that to inform where they put the brands. This particular store, Kess, feels very permanent, but it's actually designed in a way so that if the brand isn't working there, it can be easily taken out within a matter of weeks and a new brand installed. So give me a sense, if this place went under, you know, this, this, this brand was like, you know what, this isn't doing great here, how long would it take to get out? Um, je- it's not going to happen. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. So if, if for some odd reason, and again, to your point, um, I don't think that's the case with this brand because they're performing very well, uh, actually, which we're ecstatic about, um, you know, we would really anywhere from one to two weeks, right, we could pull Kess out of this location and deploy another brand into this location, and that would literally happen within one to two weeks. So, And you have brands ready to go that want to oh, take yeah. that are oh, like yeah. clamoring, beating for, down the doors to get yeah. space? Yeah, I mean, we currently, I mean, we've got coming up to you know hundreds if not over a thousand brands that are you know in the queue looking to launch with us and so for every space that we have we've got another you know couple dozen interesting brands for that location where the data sets are telling us that these would be great locations for said brand of course at the end of the day a brand has governance on their sites on their locations right um, so they can say yes or no to any location right but we, we feel pretty good about every one of the locations that we have out there today, powered by Leap, that there's a vast amount of fungibility for those spaces. What's your relationship or how do you negotiate with landlords? 
So now we're you know north of 60 locations, give or take, uh, across the markets where we operate. So we certainly have developed a bit more awareness with the real estate community of you know our model and the benefits associated with our model for landlords. Um, and so we, we, we think about locations as sort of a network of locations powered by our one engine. And the way we aggregate that, that network and, you know, uh, expand that network is true, you know, through tr- pretty traditional, if you will, commercial agreements, right? Leases, license agreements, management service contracts. To, you know, today, for example, we're sitting in a location at 339 West Broadway, and this location is, you know, um, owned by a... I wouldn't say a mom and pop landlord, but probably a you know a, a smaller organization that has a handful of retail assets, and so we do deals with uh, the mom and pop landlords on the street all the way up to the large you know public institutions you know the REITs uh, like the Brookfields etc of the world. Um, in fact, actually, uh, Simon Property Group was one of our investors in our Series B financing, um, and so you know. Today we're you know we're doing um, commercial agreements you know anywhere from one to ten years in in in, in term length, um, and so of course naturally we take more commitment more term in the markets where we have a lot of confidence and a lot of data telling us that these markets are the ones we want to bet on you know over the long term, um, and the one you know the markets that we're just entering we take slightly shorter term lo- you know leases and. Um, agreements because we just need to build the confidence and the data set that this market is one we want to stay in for a long time. So how long is your deal with this um, this location? Yeah, in this particular location, you know, a lot, a lot of our, this particular location I think is about a five-year deal uh, and we have some options to stay here, um, which is great. Um, but, you know, a lot of our model is predicated on sort of building density, right? And so in New York today, we're about 23 locations you know, predominantly around the West Village, Soho, NoHo, Upper East Side, and we're just beginning our Williams, our work in Williamsburg. Classic retail areas. That's right. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. You know, when you when you put stores close to each other, you can create a lot of operating leverage, right? Uh, particularly, you know, we all of our brands, for example, Kess, um, they now get the benefit of the type of scale, the economies of scale that we've created across the New York market that quite. Literally, they wouldn't really have the benefit of if they were just powering their own stores themselves, right? Um, so not only can we kind of compress costs, but we can also, we've amassed a pretty significant customer file. So we can take shoppers and we can cross-pollinate them across all of our stores, right? You know, be it Kess or be it, you know, Nottam or something Navy or Good Life or Ring Concierge, any one of our brands, we can cross-pollinate shoppers across these brands and locations, um, to drive up, you know, the, the top half of our P&Ls. So how long's Kess got their arrangement with you? Yeah, this is a, uh, a couple-year arrangement, right? So um, generally, we're always looking to underwrite and launch brands on our platform that are thinking about retail as sort of a commercially scalable channel for them, right? Um, we don't really do pop-ups, if you will. You know, we, we, we want to underwrite brands that at minimum will look to, to 12 months of commitment to get a full cycle of data um, to really assess their viability in, in the retail channel, right? Their seasonality impacts in retail. Um, and so this, this brand is here for a couple of years. And, um, you know, assuming that it's going well, likely the brand will probably want to stay and not really go anywhere. Um, but one of the beauty, you know, the, the beautiful things with our model is that um, if for some reason a brand might be having any challenges, right, uh, let's say we deploy brand X into location Y across the street. 
um, and for some odd reason that you know brand isn't performing well in that location, um, we can very quickly take that brand out of that location and put another brand in, and uh, it's good for everybody involved. And you're paying rent the whole time. And we're paying rent the whole time. And what kind of rents do you pay? I'm sure you're not going to tell me a square foot for <laughs> <laughs> number, but. Yeah. Are you paying like rents that a landlord would be like, that's great? Yeah, of course. I mean, we, we have to be a viable tenant to, to a landlord, right? And, and in today's world, um, you know, in, in anything consumer retail, right, it's highly cyclical, right? Um, when, you know, in, in particular right now, we've got a dynamic where we're kind of coming out of the pandemic a bit, or at least we're learning how to live with it. And so things are reopened and, you know, a lot of tenants out there, retailers, you know, big or small, are sort of running back into the retail channel pretty aggressively uh, with aggressive growth strategies, um, which is good. It's good for the retail the retail community and industry at large. Um, but what does that mean? That means that it's become a bit more competitive to what it was literally 12 months ago, right? 12 months ago, you know, that we had a lot as, as tenants, we had a lot more flexibility. Um, now, not so much. But so, so for us, what does that mean? That means you know, we have to we have to do deals that sort of in the world that's in line with market. Um, in some cases, we get you know some, you know, I would say there's some benefits to doing deals with Leap versus just one one mono brand operator, and that's particularly the downside risk protection. If again a brand is not performing, because you can say to them, well, hey, if they don't do well, we'll, we'll get someone else in. We, exactly we've right. got you. Yeah, <laughs> we've got your back a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly right. They, you know, if you think about a, uh, if you own, a, you own an asset, right? You own a building, um, and you're really excited about a new concept, right? And you like the credit of that tenant, uh, and you do a deal with that incoming new concept, and for some odd reason, that concept's not working the, the way that you all sort of aligned to, and you you thought it was going to work. Then a couple years down the road, you know you're going to have to figure out another use for the space. This isn't a new concept. Like landlords have been kind of toying and playing with this a little bit for a while. First it was pop-ups and then there were sort of shorter term leases and and working with sort of digitally native brands. So why why is it that you've been able to flourish, do you think? Because landlords could just do it themselves, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, I think we've seen a number of different approaches, you know, in the future of retail world. Um, I think some landlords have tried to do some version of what we are doing, but I think have just kind of learned that it's it's tough, right? It's not really their model. Um, in particular, they're not they their business models are financing properties and leasing properties. Yeah, they're not right? on Instagram looking at like the latest yeah. you know, right. clothing concept. Right, and I mean we think about really truly ourselves as a a data business that happens to be operating retail stores, right? And so if you think about that in in the most sort of you know, granular level, um, that's just not a landlord or asset owner's business model nor their approach to their everyday, right? And so, um, you know, there's a reason why Kess is in this location, right? Because we What were, is it? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's customer penetration rates, right? We, we know that there's a high, like, a very high um, penetration rate that this brand has with the local customer in this particular So there's market. a lot of women who want that's, silky dresses around, around this area, basically. That's exactly right. Yeah, and so, and so... And we also really understand a brand's ability from an occupancy perspective to pencil the economics of a store location, you know, even if this is only their first location or second location. We already know that stuff. So the brand doesn't have to figure that out painstakingly on their own. So are the brands coming to you or are you going to the brands? Yeah, it's uh, actually we found that a majority of our the brands that we underwrite and launch, they're actually inbound to us, right? Uh, 
I'd say about four, four out of five brands are inbound to us at this particular moment. And, um, you know, I don't think we're really surprised by that by any means. Um, retail's not easy, right? And there's always, uh, in particular right now in this moment in time, right, um, I think a lot of brands found exceptional growth in 2020 during the pandemic. And then, you know, last year in 2021, there was probably some inflection points that had happened, right? One was vaccination dynamics rolled out and people were back out in the world again, right? And so brands, that was inflection point one, where brands needed to kind of meet the customer where the customer is, meeting in person. It's not just about having a store that shoppers can visit for these brands, though that touch and feel and experience is a big thing too. Changes to Apple's privacy features last year for mobile devices has hampered the ability for companies to target possible buyers with ads. So that means stores have become more important and companies like Leap more necessary. Now if you, if you go on your iPhone, you open any application, you'll probably notice that you know, they'll ask you up front, do you want to share your location data, right? And, it, you know, you can kind of see it says allow once or allow never, right? Um, and so that, you know, new, in, you know, introduction, what that's their stance of giving, you know, data and privacy kind of back into the hands of the consumer. Um, but that's obviously impacted a lot of the ad targeting capabilities for Facebook because Facebook was reliant on that data for a long time, Um to be able to give the brands the type of targeting competencies from an advertising perspective. And now it's it's not completely all gone per se, but it's just a lot more difficult, right, for these brands to target well on Facebook. And so So that's been a boon for a company like you, right? Yeah. So that's exactly right. It's been a big it's been a big driver for not just ourselves, but everything retail in general, right? Um, you see the big legacy kind of retailers, the the nine hundred pound gorillas of the world that are, you know, doubling down on their retail strategies to, you know, the type of brands that we underwrite and launch, right, on our platform. And so um, what that has really done is that people are really running back into retail pretty darn quickly. Like brick-and-mortar retail. That's right. That's exactly right. And and also not just brick-and-mortar retail, like your own branded experiences, but also wholesale as well, right? Um, For a long time there was conversation that why would we ever do wholesale? We're going to pull ourselves out of wholesale. We're just going to focus on direct-to-consumer. But I think... Some of the reasons as to why that was a business strategy then still exists, but um, I think folks are kind of realizing that there's power in the scale of wholesale, right? And so people are going back into wholesale as well. Wellness is in our DNA. At American Real Estate Partners, we believe better spaces lead to better days. That's why we dedicate ourselves to providing the best in health, safety, and connectivity portfolio-wide. With our entire portfolio UL Healthy Buildings Verified and Well Health Safety Rated, our customers can increase their physical and mental well-being while encouraging and enhancing productivity. We assure the safety and comfort for our customers as they return to the workplace with confidence and clarity. That is the AREP difference. Visit AREP at AmericanREPartners.com for availabilities. Leap has raised $70 million so far, and last week it announced plans to expand into Boston, Columbus, Greenwich, Connecticut, and Philadelphia, as well as Washington, D.C. The company is also planning to grow in places that it already exists, like New York City and L.A. 
Today, Leap has more than 20 million shoppers on file and operates 55 retail stores for dozens of brands. Have you made any mistakes? I mean, have you seen oh, any? Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> have we made mistakes? We make mistakes every day. So yeah. where would you, if you can think of one, um, where has been the biggest misstep, do you think? Is it a brand that you've put in? Or? Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing, I wish I had a good answer to that, but the, the reality is, is retail, there's, you know, I think anybody, anybody in retail will probably tell you there's no one fatal flaw, right? It's not like we, we did this one thing and that and one thing was... we hadn't done that, it would yes. It's, it's usually a, a confluence of items that sort of happen, that, that add up to leading to some issue, right? That, hey, this brand didn't work in this location, or we got the, right, the wrong product, or we underwrote a brand that was too early, or we got the dimensions of the location wrong, and therefore we didn't have enough fitting rooms in the, you know, um, or we staffed it with, you know, perhaps, you know, not the right, not the right associates right off the bat, right? I mean, there's a number of different things that we have learn. I mean, we learn, we fail so much. Failure is a good thing. I mean, we, there's so much business model innovation that's been taking, that's taken place in our, in our, in, at Leap, right? That it's, would be crazy to think that we wouldn't, we would get it all right out of the gates and to say um, that we don't embrace a, you know, we, we very much embrace a culture of failure. We have to, we have to try things. We have to test things. You know, most of them aren't going to work, but the ones that do work, we've, we got to make sure those are scalable strategies, and those are the things that we end up sort of deploying over time. What has been the biggest surprise, do you think, in terms of a brand that's done well? Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> Honestly, there's a lot. There's a lot because, you know, a number of our brands have never been in the world of retail before, right? And so, you know, when you think about taking a brand that, you know, uh, doesn't have, quote, unquote, a retail program, and then deploying them into a physical location and, and giving them the power to be able to create, you know, manifest their brand in a physical environment. Um, you just, you, you kind of, you learn a lot through those processes, but, you know, I'd say half the brands that we've underwritten and launched on our platform have never had a retail program before, right? Um, and it's really great to see that our single set of rails, our data systems, if you will, are able to take those types of brands and launch them successfully in retail and give them a much higher likelihood of winning, right, versus them trying to do it themselves. And now we're in a world where a lot of those brands are also surprised themselves that, wow, we're working in retail. Um, how do I go launch more locations? Amish, thanks so much. Yeah, really appreciate the time. Thanks for um, giving us the opportunity to tell our story. 